Welcome back to Pod Clubhouse Press Pass, your coverage for live events, especially those that are right around my area. Joining me today in kind of a post-festival coverage capacity, we have Adam and Devin from the Great American Screen Podcast. Yes, Hello, you thought back. you were rid of us. <laughs> I just returned. can't get enough. Actually, <laughs> once I got a taste of the, of the horror culture, I, I knew why you guys were uh, so adamant to, to cover it in your own podcast. Yeah. Wherever that turns up, we appear from thin air. <laughs> like a lich, we appear. Once you know what they say about horror. Once you pop horror, you can't stop horror. <laughs> I Something guess like that's that. What they say. It goes somewhere like They're that. They're workshopping it. They're workshopping it. <laughs> right. Right. It's kind of stole that idea from like Jesus, right? The idea of a, the, uh, two, the, the two gather in their name, right? Then <laughs> oh, horror yeah, shall appear. <laughs> what a pull. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us today, an acquaintance that I made at the Houston Horror Film Festival, Josh Logan, or J.M. Logan is his uh, professional handle. He was the, or is, the director of one of the short films that won a few awards at that festival, The Relic. Hi, Josh. Hello. Thanks for having me on today. It is my pleasure. I can't speak for Adam and Devin, and maybe they're hating every second of this, but... but <laughs> it's it, my it, it, pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Just very quickly, I tried to see as many films as I could within reason, and I was just... Uh, I was not lucky enough to be in the room when Josh's uh, film screened. However, he was talking to another filmmaker when I went to stalk that guy, and I noticed Josh's f- filmmaker badge. And I said, well, do you want me to be, able, be on a podcast too? And, and he was, he's like, yes. And, and so I went off and watched his movie, and I was like, I definitely need to talk to this guy. And so yeah. here we are. You got Thank him. you. Got him. <laughs> so going back to the fest, did you watch a lot of the films that were available there? You know, any festival that I go to, my main focus is trying to see as many movies as possible because, I mean, really, you know, as a horror fan, a longtime horror fan, a lot of the times, you know, short films, thankfully, they've gotten a little bit more attention in recent years. But for the most part in America, short films are not really taken very seriously and there's not really a place to watch them, or at least there hasn't been. So, I mean, you know, over the last couple of years, I've been touring both, with both The Relic and Lunch Ladies. I love being able to watch all of these horror movies that otherwise you really have no access to. And it's really only been the last couple of years that there's been a real venue to watch them, at least while they're in their festival runs, because, you know, everyone will release it on Vimeo or YouTube. But usually, you know, when people release even huge, awesome horror shorts, they just don't get much play because there hasn't been a focused way to find them until, like, recently, Alter and Dust have done a really great job with, you know, starting to point people towards stuff and, you know, Bloody Disgusting is doing that. And so it's it's getting more traction. But, you know, historically, I just love to go to watch movies and see what everyone else is doing and get inspired by stuff that I wouldn't be able to see normally. So, yeah, I, I tried to see as much as I possibly could. Were you there all three days? Yeah, I actually got there Thursday night. So I was I was there from the uh, from the very beginning to the very bitter end. It looks like from the lineup, the people were do- definitely doing a lot of really different, but all equally cool looking uh, short films. Yeah, there was definitely some really good ones. 
and some ones that um, you know when we sometimes we kind of get into a groove with each other so like you know like i, I released the relic last october starting at telluride horror show and there were a number of other, other movies that got released basically around the same time and then we all just kind of end up seeing each other at all the festivals <laughs> for the next year because you know we all enter the same festival so uh it's been really fun to to connect with some filmmakers that i really admire and be able to you know track along with them and you know be be nominated and, and and lose to them and then be nominated and win win against them at different <laughs> festivals so it's been it's been really uh, it's been really fun so yeah i got to see a, a bunch of i got to see well i mean it's the first film festival that i've been to in a year and a half so i got to see right. some of my favorites up on the screen in a room with people which was you know ah. in addition to seeing the relic for the first time with a live audience including the producers because you know when we were finished it we were like heavy in the middle of the pandemic so we never even got to watch it in a room ourselves like as a group wow. so it was literally the first group that got to watch it so that was really fun but it's also really fun to see some of my other friends with their shorts and to see people react to it. it was really nice if you had to pick one or two that just like stand out in your in your memory can you recall any at the risk of, of having anyone else complain i think my favorite short of the festival was overkill um, which Ooh, just yes. seems to be really a, a festival favorite. And it's just, it's one of the, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of, of horror comedy. Um, and when it's really done right, this one just picked up basically all of the possible tropes of all of the standard stalker killer slasher movies and just dumped them into one absolutely hilarious and relentless short film. <laughs> just like covered basically every alternate possibility of trying to take down the main murderer and uh, I just I really really laughed my ass off at that I thought it was yeah great. it kind of seems like taking the whole thing of like ghost faces pratfalls and scream but then like making it the whole movie which is really exciting to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it was really funny and then uh, Nova who was the David Maccabee he was the filmmaker you were talking to and, or that I was talking to when you sat down to talk to us. And I, that's the second time I've seen that one. We actually, he premiered a Telluride horror show also. And I think he was part of my block. So I got to see his really early on. And I, I just think it's so creative and, and such a, a well, well realized short film with a very clear concept and, and, and a good launching point for a bigger story. Yeah, that it, it bears that in common with uh, the relic, the kind of that third act. Lot of lot has happened up before that moment. Uh, <laughs> kind of kind of set up. Kind of drop us right in the middle of a, into the thick of it. Right, um, but but a, but a totally different approach. Uh, he he was more, I think, on uh, tech and and sleight of hand wizardry. In yours was more practical and had 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 more of a of not a sound stage but but a set you know a practical set to to work with mm -hmm. and those were some gnarly effects they were awesome <laughs> oh yeah oh, we'll, we'll get into it yeah yeah <laughs> let's see did you see i what was the name it was something like kick or kicking or I intended to see it. I just can't remember if I did or not. It was about the pregnant lady that sees some weird stuff oh, going on yeah. th through the window, and she and she busts in and uh, ends up accidentally killing everybody. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was also another of my favorites from the from yeah, the, Mondays. The <laughs> <laughs> Super well made. I mean, just really cinematic lighting and shots and yeah. stuff like that, and. Yeah, I think did it win win best cinematography? 
it might have. I the fest organizers haven't put the winners on their mm. website or anywhere mm. that I've noticed publicly, which would have been helpful when I was making my my wrap up video earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that one was a horror comedy throwing in sort of like kind of that suburban. BDSM community sort of thing. Uh, oh, <laughs> you know. As, as, you know, as we're all familiar yeah. with, of course. Awesome experience. <laughs> right. It was just called Kick. <laughs> kick. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kick. Yeah, that that was a good one. Um, let's see, did you, did you did you recall the one uh, called Junk Drawer? Oh yeah, that was that was a really like you could you could tell very much how it got made and probably why it got made. <laughs> it yeah. was just made by one guy who basically did everything, and you could tell that he was just probably alone by himself in quarantine, going probably cleaning out his junk drawer, going. Hey, I wonder if I should make a drawer of this. Plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, that was one of the, that was a really creative short. If if you could imagine. Uh, you guys, uh, Adam and Devin, body horror being fully accomplished with a thumbtack. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. he, he does achieve that. Yuck. <laughs> yeah. It sounds amazing. Uh. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and he, he does the credits at the end. And at a certain point, he, he stops putting his name after everything and just says everything. Or, you know, <laughs> and, and pretty much everything else. Or something yeah. like that. I did everything else. Everything except the music, I think, is what he says. Oh, yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much everything but the music. Yeah. I did end up uh, seeing the Bad Candy feature ah, screening. Yes. I know you guys were curious about mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. That one looked kind of like a cheat because because <laughs> <laughs> the budget looked legitimately big ah, on, okay. on, yeah. on that one. Do you know anything about that one, Josh? I don't know much about it in detail, but I did get to see it a couple of fests ago. Uh, so I didn't I didn't catch it this time because I'd already seen it, but it definitely had some some really cool stuff in it. The setup was uh, that the radio DJs that you see in the in the press material, you know, Billy from Gremlins and and the Slipknot guy. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, it's, I think that's what I think that's their tour title as well. Yeah, Billy from Gremlins and the Slipknot guy. Right. Uh, the setup though is that they are they are fielding and and regaling a radio audience with scary stories. And and so oh. that's the setup for the anthologies. Oh, I I love anthology horror frame. movies so much. They're so mm-hmm. like fun. You can go you can literally all over the place with them. <laughs> well, this one did. Um, oh, excellent. <laughs> I mean, personally, I could have probably used it to be just I don't know ten minutes shorter. But really, all the all the different little stories, like the one that you that you guys noticed with like the people with the pumpkin heads. That yeah, one, yeah, yeah. that one was particularly nuts. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> You're already that's already starting from a place of like you know how how much further can you go when you've already got pumpkin heads in? The answer yeah. is further than you think. <laughs> Add in a flying creature. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah. If you guys uh, like anthology horror movies, did you see one a long time ago, Carl? Oh, a long time ago, not really a long time ago. Uh, that makes me really old. Called Terror Tract. No, uh, John, seen that John one. Ritter in it. No, I haven't seen that one before. Now I'm going to put it on my list. 
Yeah. Yeah, check it out. I, I, I did affect that movie. I think we shot it in 99, so it probably came out in 2000. But uh, but it's got some really clever little stories in it. It's all based around um, John Ritter plays a real estate agent who's touring a uh, family around to different homes. And every home, because of, because of um, a, a rule called, like, disclosure or something where you have to tell like if someone asks you have to tell them everything that happened in the house and so each house that they go to they ask a question like so did, are you saying someone died here and then he tells a story and then that that takes you into the story of what happened in each Ooh. house and so each house the stories kind of get worse and worse and worse and of course it blows up at the end but, uh, but it's, it's a really <laughs> yeah. fun movie and uh, the directors yeah. were just it became really good friends so it's definitely oh, worth yeah. checking out terror tracked terror tracked yeah, this sounds David like a Delaney, like, and Brian like, Cranston like yeah, yeah, Brian Cranston before before he was Brian Cranston. Wow, yeah, it's got a great cast. This looks great. Yeah, this is definitely going on my list. You know, uh, sorry not to derail us. No, no, I, 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 that just reminds <laughs> me. Like uh, several years ago, I, I had a, a real estate license, and the, and the rules in Texas are that you don't have to disclose oh. that ah. if someone died in the house you can't hide it if someone asks <laughs> no maybe no but so you can't here. lie about it right so you can right. say no but then wink yeah <laughs> <That's kind laughs> of a- you, you only have to disclose it if the house killed them Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, gotta love Texas law. Like a monster right. house situation. <laughs> kind of, yeah, right. right. Smart if the house, house situation. Yeah, if the house killed you, then you gotta mark it down. Otherwise, you're okay. All right. <laughs> uh, let's see, I saw, I saw the Bloomfield feature. I saw the Inheritance feature. I wanted to see the ride share killer oh yeah yeah, yeah. but i got distracted Mm -hmm. with some other stuff and it did not work out that i could see that have you seen that one josh no i didn't see that one either bummer did you catch reelected that was that one looked crazy that was on friday right yeah, yeah, it was, it was yeah. late on Friday. I started on Saturday, unfortunately, but I've heard I shouldn't have missed that one. Well, it's out now. They're, they've got it streaming, so you can Ooh. you can rent it on Amazon just like as of last week. Basically, it was like the day after that festival ended, they oh, released it on Amazon. So definitely okay. rent it. It's, it is a super fun watch. I mean, you know, you can always tell when people had a really fun time making a movie because it just comes through in the work. And... Um, you know, the, the concept is ridiculous. And like I said, I'm a huge fan of really well-done horror comedy, and this is really well-done. Definitely, yeah. like, unusual concept for horror comedy, but it is really, yeah. really funny. I think this gets my award for <laughs> best poster for a short. Yeah, isn't that a great one? good, too, yeah. The tagline, there's something evil in the woods, something horrifying, something gruesome, something American. <laughs> I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> There's something yeah. to be said for like horror movies like Hereditary or like Midsommar where you can tell like, oh, like the actors were like really like kind of in it and they were they, mm-hmm. they really like suffered for their parts and stuff. And there's something also to be said for movies like Reanimator or like Cabin in the Woods where you're like, they were having mm-hmm. a ball on set of this yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's still fully, fully committed. Like everything yeah. in that, in both of those movies is completely done straight. And that's what makes them so brilliant. Yeah. And this movie's very much the same. Like there's not a lot of winking and nodding to it. It's just done very straight. Like this is just reality. Yeah, this is how it is. Because there are zombie presidents. Deal with it. 
<laughs> exactly. And everyone makes fun of Andrew Jackson the whole time. Just <laughs> yes. Okay. Which, uh, yeah. So then on to the relic, unless you have any more that you want to mention, Josh. Uh, well, two of my other favorites that we've been that we've been touring around with were um, "Make a Wish," which I think is one of the funniest and most bizarre shorts that I've seen on the circuit lately. Like over the last year, this has been absolutely one of my favorites. Did you, did you guys see that one? I did. Wait, yes. Wait, what was the the uh, the, the, the crazy woman uh, has a birthday present for her husband, and it turns oh. out to be that she's kidnapped the like his uh, like a high school bully that beat him up and called him names that one was good excellent actually yeah (laughs) it's so funny and then the the girl that plays the wife is just so hilarious and intimidating and terrifying (laughs) oh she yeah i wasn't expecting sort of like i don't know physical humor out of out of what Mm -hmm. i saw and and she she sells out i mean she (laughs) Oh yeah, <laughs> with her part completely buries the needle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And then uh, Korea Town Ghost Story is another one of my favorites. That That's the Margaret Cho one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not see that one, but I did see yeah, Make a Wish. Yeah, good call. They got lots of chances because they're winning in festivals like two a day at this rate. It's pretty, it's pretty astonishing. Good for them. Wrong. Wow. Yeah, yeah. They they've been absolutely killing it. Well, speaking of killing it. Uh, <laughs> the Relic, Josh's movie. I have a long interview with Josh that we videoed. Videoed. That's a verb now because you, know, you don't is. you don't tape things anymore. No, and you definitely do don't video. film them. And um, you don't you don't want to get specific about format anymore. It's just kind of pointless. Like right. you, know, you don't want to say this was shot on red camera. I mean, you could say that, but ultimately. Videoed, I think, is probably the most appropriate yeah, term. Right. It's just, just broad. It's like, it doesn't matter what format. Maybe it uh, was on video. Maybe uh, you uh, shot it on mini DV tape. Doesn't matter. You videoed it. I, I've digitally yeah. captured Josh's soul. Ultimately, <laughs> 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 that's the bottom line. Right. Oh, man. My, my soul is so long gone. But if I had anything <laughs> left, you're welcome to. And we discussed quite a bit about the origination of that short and how it came to be. And it is, it is intriguing. I don't know if you guys had any time to watch that. Um, yes, you did. Um, all right. Oh, great. Yeah. I will let Adam and Devin take the reins here for a second while, while they get out some of their questions about the movie. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely like to hear some more about those practical effects. Uh, as I mentioned before, I'm a big practical effect nut, I was, I was watching this, full disclosure, I, I watched this short while I was like on the subway commuting to work and I kept like making faces at my screen at, at, at like when they were like digging through the head and stuff like that. And I kept just looking up at this woman who was, because like I looked right from the screen and I was just looking up at this woman who was sitting across from me, very disturbed at whatever <laughs> I was presumably watching on the yeah, screen. didn't even need to see it. Yeah, <laughs> she, got, she got the full story from my facial expressions. But wow, I'd love to hear more about uh, those effects. <laughs> uh, well, I have a background, a long background in effects. It's what I started doing in movies. Uh, it's what I always wanted to do from the time I was... Basically, I saw Star Wars when I was four years old, and I was like, before you even know that like you're going to have to have a job, I've, I've wanted to work in movies. Like I've, I've never wanted to do anything else. And so I you know, grew up in Austin, Texas, and, um, and because there weren't a lot of opportunities to work in movies in the 80s, I started working in theater. And so by the time I was 14, I was taking the city bus to, to my, my theater job five days a week, basically 360 days a year. 
Um, and uh, I, I, it's just kind of all I ever wanted to do. So I started making connections to you know, makeup people, but I, I wanted to build monsters, like that was my thing. And uh, I diversified a lot throughout Texas because you know, there, there really was only so much opportunity at the time. And so you know, I built props for video games because that was a thing in the 90s. And uh, I, I, did, like, I learned pyrotechnics, so I blew stuff up. I worked as a rigger in rock shows, but all just kind of trying to avoid having a real job and be as close to movies as possible. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, I had a decent enough portfolio and made enough connections to LA to move out to LA in '96. And um, basically, from '96 to 2008, I think was the the last time I did effects for a show. Uh, that's all I did was was effects. I worked in tons of shops and you know worked on lots of terrible late '90s horror movies. Um, and so, and some of my best friends still do that work. I got out of it because ultimately it's, it's amazing to do the work, but it's a terrible job. Oh, uh, unless, okay. unless you really get into doing like huge, huge movies where you get paid decently and you're protected by the union for the most part, you know, most people that get into effects don't realize that they're still making the same weekly rate that I made when I started doing it in 1996. And it's just, has never gone up. And so, you know, I've got friends now that are my age and pushing 50 and just, you know, they're still struggling to just, you know, make a fair weekly rate. Either that or they've gone like full bore into the, the big shops because, they wanted to, you know, maybe provide for their future and their families. And so they get absorbed by these giant shops like Legacy and, you know, end up, you know, in, in many cases being more of the cog in the wheel rather than the creative visionary. So there's always the choice that you have to make between those two paths. It's like you can make either you can take the chance and start your own shop and most likely you're just going to be picking up straps in the big shop or you go over for the big shop and you get paid better, but you don't get to be as creative as you would otherwise. So I saw that coming a long way off and, and then even that and all the exposures to the chemicals and stuff, which have at, at the time, you know, no one wore respirators, no one wore ear protection, no one knew any better really. We were dipping our hands in vats of acetone to clean the crap off our skin. Um, and just between all that stuff, it just really, I, I wanted to find something else to do. And, and it was also kind of a, a realization that I came to that I, you know, when you when you start working in movies, when you work in a, especially in a small town, everyone kind of does everything. Like there's no real distinction between jobs. Like I wanted to make movies, or I wanted to make monsters, but I, I also had to because if I wanted to make a monster movie, I also had to run the camera and probably direct it and maybe write it. Or you know, I'd find friends that that oh well he can use the camera this time. You hold the boom pole. Well, I held the boom pole last time. You know, and this time I want to be in it. And yes. you know, you relatable. Just yeah, does everything. <laughs> And honestly, that's where my real love of making movies started was, you know, going out with my friends on weekends to, to go make movies. And so I sort of started to realize that when I thought I wanted to make monsters, what I really wanted to do was make monster movies. It wasn't just about making the monster. And ultimately, that wasn't as creatively satisfying to me as it would have been had I been making monster movies. So I started pushing myself more towards other aspects of the film industry that I could get into just to kind of diversify and figure out, you know, how I could get to a position where I was writing and directing. So that happened actually 2006, I think. Species 4, no, uh, I Know Who Killed Me, starring Lindsay Lohan. Ooh, that, was my, mm. that was my effects swan song. And uh, then I went <laughs> off and did a bunch of other stuff. And I'm super proud of some of the stuff we built for that movie. It's not a great movie, but I'm really, really proud of it. Yeah the effects work we did she cuts off parts um, of her body right yeah yeah 
well, parts of her body get cut off kind of ah. virtually because she, she becomes like a, a half personality analog. So, um, like, you know, her fingers rot off because they're, they're her other, like, the, the good version of her is being tortured by a serial killer. Oh, okay. You know, sometimes, it's like, it's that's the thing. Really is- yeah, sometimes, like, even if uh, I've seen plenty of, like, movies that was, like, that wasn't a great movie, but the effects were, like, amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and that <laughs> will always bring it up a, a couple notches for me because I'm such a special effects fan. Did you have a favorite effect that you worked on for, for The Relic? I kind of, I mean, I worked on all of it, but really it was it was kind of a creative synergy. Because like I said, I haven't done effects since 2006, I guess. But my friend Matt Folletta, who's, you know, brother from another mother who I've been, you know, we were roommates for years and years and worked together a ton. He and Roy Canera are running SOTA effects, S-O-T-A effects. And uh, so when we were kind of trying to figure out what to do, like how to build this monster thing, Matt and I just kind of put our heads together and tried to figure out how to accomplish all the effects. And then my other buddy, Roger Nall, who I've known for almost as long as I've known Matt, who's a visual effects guru, uh, he jumped in and was interested in, in helping us out and, and volunteered to DP because he just bought this beautiful new Blackmagic camera set up with a bunch of amazing lenses. and. He was like, hey, you know, I just bought this thing. And he bought it to shoot plates because he shoots, you know, he works on huge, huge VFX movies. But in giving him a chance to, you know, become more creative than he often is, is able to, he just volunteered to DP and brought along all of his, his gear. So really it was the three of us putting together our, you know, collective brains and trying to figure out how to achieve each effect uh, as much practical as possible. So every effect that you see in the movie is practical. At some point or another, and sometimes it's like a variety of takes that we combine via compositing, but we did actually photograph everything in camera at one point or another. Some, there's a few wow. pieces that were on green screen and composited, but that was really like part of the exercise was to try not lean on 3D. I mean, there's no 3D anything in the entire movie. It's all amazing. You know, and that monster looks puppets. amazing. Thank you. Yeah. That, is, that was entirely built out of, I mean, because, you know, we're low budget. So it's like, what's the cheapest thing that we can build? And the whole <laughs> concept for me to start with was shoot it in the dark. The only thing I want is blue moonlight coming in the windows and everything else will be lit with flashlights. And if you do that, you can get away with anything. Yeah. So, I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. That ended up being what we, what we lovingly call a trash bag monster, which is developed by, you know, I think Steve Johnson's shop around um, Men in Black time you can see some incredible examples of it but it, it is literally bubble wrap plastic drop cloth pvc and a backpack that is all it is that's even better yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I i would say personally i liked this shot and this is why i i suggested why seeing so many shorts is so much fun i just saw the one shot of the inflatables being kind of deployed of these like limbs <laughs> getting inflated and part of the thrill of watching tons of different creators throw different stuff at the wall is you start to recognize those things and you know you're seeing this incredible monster and you're so immersed and then you're like wait wait i know i i think i know what they're using in in a moment and it's this like mix of excitement and i i was so blown away by the by the choices in terms of specifically lighting the creature to make sure or not even make sure, but to make it look more and more visceral and real, harkening back to, like, Mm -hmm. CG creatures, like, in Jurassic Park, that, like, rim-lit blue scene. Or Mm -hmm. I, for some reason, found myself watching Alien vs. Predator the other day. (laughs) Uh, 
And just suddenly I was there. I don't know how I got there. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, it it was a long road of choices and I don't know how I got there. But the positives of capturing a physical object, even if you end up using some form of compositing or not in this case, but in other cases, computer generation is you have so much lighting reference from having an Mm -hmm. actual physical object in the space that your CG, even in a 2004 movie about... (laughs) the predator fighting the big alien man, you're going to have better effects across the board. And there's a feeling of, I know that's all practical, and that's mm-hmm. blowing me away while I'm super spooked by this crazy monster. That's kind of my question. Yeah. We've done an episode on creature features and creating these monsters throughout horror history. Mm-hmm. Where did you get this creature? Where where, <laughs> where in your mind palace was this thing? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, it really was, uh, I knew I wanted something really big, and I had kind of a loose framework of what to start with uh, in terms of it having, you know, like a, a, a frame. But it really was like, because it was 100% constructed, I mean, really, like, we started with a backpack on a mannequin, and then I just started adding PVC frame to it and just kind of building out shapes and then animating those shapes using, again, just PVC. Uh, and then once we had some sort of shapes down and some, you know, it was like backscreening stuff with bungee cords, so it had a little bit of weight behind it. And then we just sort of started laying shapes down. And, and because this is going to be, you know, a Lovecraft-based um, tentacle-oriented creature that didn't really, I didn't want it to have a specific form. We really just kind of, we'd add to it, I'd say over the period of like six or seven weeks working on it, you know, a few, like five, six hours a day. I think Matt worked on it way more than I did because I was also storyboarding the rest of the movie at the same time. But, you know, we just sort of add some shapes and it goes so fast because it's just bubble wrap. So we just kind of stick a bunch of stuff on there and use the heat guns and shapes and stuff. And at one point it had arms and I was trying to build the hands and I decided that the hands looked really dumb. So I just ripped them off and put tentacles on it. Like there was no, you know, because we didn't sculpt anything, we didn't mold anything. There was no time loss. There was no giant heavy mold. The whole thing weighed maybe 45 pounds. I mean, it was so incredibly light. So, you know, it just made it like part. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) A slimable. And so we we made it, you know, it was part rod puppet and part internally controlled and and part, um, you know, just like filament. Hard to say where where it really came from because it was kind of just more Matt and I shaping it as we went and just trying to make, you know, make the best of what we knew of what our advantages were. Um, Yeah. I wish I could solve yeah, more of my own problems by like slapping tentacles on. It. Yeah, slapping tentacles on. Needs more tentacles. filament and bubble wrap on top of things. Yeah, that would be great. I, I would also ask, since this creature was kind of more of a product of just the physical creative process, there's so much in modern horror media that is lore heavy, especially in like my realm, which is a lot of video game and internet culture things. There's oh, a yeah. there's a focus on, you know, digging through and trying to figure out what the creator intended. And what I really appreciated about the script of this was how much of that was implied. And in the back of my brain as a writer and an actor, I was mm-hmm. like, I bet that they don't have an explanation for this. And that's kind of the fun of it. How much of mm-hmm. the, you know, the lore behind the story was fleshed out in your head versus how much was more, again, a product of the act of creation of (laughs) writing this script. 
Well, I, as, I, as I told Paul in our other interview, I had, the, the lore was completely planned. Every single bit of it had a reason, had a purpose, had a plan, has a backstory. I wrote a really long backstory for this group of adventurers that I gave Ooh. to all the actors. I gave mm. each actor their own complete backstory, like several pages of backstory that I didn't give to other people and told them that they could share what pieces they wanted to with the other actors. And then I gave each each actor a secret that no one else knew. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, was, yes. Acting school. Exactly. We eat and, that and that was... And because I, I mean, the whole purpose of this was to generate questions. It was an exercise in generating questions and having those questions be loaded enough, hopefully with, by, by people that will be watching this short to be able to recognize enough of the, the, both just like hooks from horror movies that we all know and love, but also like hooks from literature and just, you know, asking questions and representation, metaphorical things like keys and masks and stuff that always represent something else. And, and just having that activate the viewer's imagination. So I, I wrote all that stuff out, but I didn't put it in the movie because ultimately the, the story that you guys are going to come up with is going to be way more interesting than any story that I could give you. I can answer all uh. your questions, but I'm not going to because it's no fun. And, yeah. and there's that little like, there's that little Easter egg of just kind of being able to guess, but not really ever knowing that makes it more exciting. So, I mean, it, it is intentionally constructed that way. And, and the actors were able to give performances because they knew the backstory and that gave context to everything that they were doing. And, you know, when people see someone that's acting from context, hopefully they can uh, they pick up on the idea that there is a sincere thing there and they're not just saying words. And that just hopefully increases curiosity. Yeah. And I can't like imagine how much it that combined with the practicality of the set and of the monster and of everything that's going on around them, how well that kind of like informed the actor's performance to have mm -hmm. like everything laid out in front of them instead of, you know, sometimes you have to be on a set with a big green screen and nothing's really there. Sometimes it's how it has to be, but how yeah. much fun and, and how like helpful it is to have that all in front of you. Um, mm -hmm. I've always been curious as to like, what is it like to direct actors in a horror movie where, you know, like you want to create a safe environment on set where like, you know, you know your, your actors feel safe to, to perform and to do whatever. Um, but at the same time, kind of giving this sense of, of imminent, very real danger that is so apparent in their performances. What's that like balance like as a director? You do it like a freaking, right? You shoot off a gun every so often. <laughs> <laughs> And you never know when it's going to come. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a great idea. Um, I haven't heard that. But th I mean, this one, this one is a little bit more complex of an answer because we did make this during the pandemic. Uh, we mm. shot it in June of last year, and it was something that I, that I was already planning to do because I did have a big project for Quibi that was going to start in March, like March the pandemic struck. And, um, and so that project got shut down and I, but I was trying to get, I was trying to shoot this short in March or April of last of 2020, yeah, 2020, because I wanted to shoot it before my big project started. And then, you know, basically have something to work on over the summer, um, while I was doing the Quibi show and then, you know, but COVID and everything shut down. And so we all sat around for a couple of months and then I started bringing the idea back into my, cause you know, this is all built with friends. Like literally I think 15 people worked on this movie and they're all like longtime friends of mine. Many of them 20 plus years, even the actors are all like longtime friends of mine. 
So I just kind of reached out to everybody and said, hey, what do you guys think about, you know, I know we're all super bored right now, but what do you think about trying to put this together in a way that will be safe and using all of the available scientific information that we have to try and create a, like to experiment in what it's like to make movies during a pandemic. Like how do we continue to be creative and be safe about it? So we started building that in, I think probably May April or May of 2020, and we actually built our own white paper, like before even IOTSI had one, um, using all available scientific research. We had a health monitor on, like a safety coordinator on set with us the entire time. I rented out an entire summer camp, which is what that location was up in Riverside County. And we were in, because it, it was a, its own summer camp, not only did it sleep 60 people, but it had its own entrance. It had, there was no access from anywhere else. It had its own parking lot. So we were basically able to all do like religious testing for weeks leading up to the shoot. And then once we went in, nothing that went in or out of those gates except for food. So um, we were one of the first productions approved by SAG when they started approving productions again. We were the first permit issued in Riverside County for filming when things started to reopen again. And, um, and it all went really well. So this was the first time that I didn't get to rehearse in person with the actors. Um, like right from the beginning, because I'm a big rehearsal guy. I love rehearsal and I love actors that love rehearsal. And I generally don't hire actors that don't like rehearsal because I, I come from a theatrical background and I believe very deeply in rehearsal because the only, the only real way that you're able to make movies, especially at this budget level is to plan things. And I'm just not a big fan of improvisation when it comes to scripted horror. So I really like to get in with the actors and go down whatever rabbit holes they have. I love having, you know, coffee or drinks with, with each actor individually a lot before we shoot to just like discuss basic overall theory and philosophy. I love getting together with all of the actors to, uh, to have big group rehearsals. And obviously like this is written from the beginning to be a very high pace, like fast paced, tense thing. So they've got to learn how to play off of each other. So this was the first time that I was like, that was actually really a big part of the process was figuring out how to direct the actors and not have the first time that they're saying those words be the first time when we're there on set trying to shoot things. So we had a bunch of Zoom rehearsals. And so that was really interesting to figure out how um, you know, we could all work together and find our rhythm that way. And then we did have one in-person rehearsal, which we also did a wardrobe fitting at the same time where it was really close to the shoot and we did it outside in a park in the sun and tried to keep it as safe as possible and, you know, as minimal contact as possible. And we were all tested beforehand. But I, this is by far the most challenging directing project that I had mostly for that reason. So in terms of like a balance between how to keep it safe and also keep it tense, it's... I don't know that I really have a great answer for that because I was just so happy that we were able to make something that I didn't I didn't get too consumed with the details. But I mean, safety in general is is always my primary focus. Like my my primary focus anytime I'm making anything is everyone has fun. If anyone is not having fun, even if it sucks, because you know sometimes it sucks and sometimes it's hard and sometimes you have no sleep and sometimes you're in pain and sometimes you're hungry or cold or hot or whatever. You know it's it is that, but at the end of the day, if you don't look back at that day and go, you know what, that sucked, but I had fun, then I'm doing something wrong. So safety is the first way that you do that is to make sure that everyone feels safe, that all the actors feel safe, that, you know, that they're able to 
take it as far as they want to take it without having to worry about anything. So setting them up in, a, in as comfortable an environment as possible uh, is always a primary focus of mine. So we did that as much as we possibly could on this, even if it was just everyone wearing tons of PPE and cleaning doorknobs every 30 minutes. But you know, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's definitely a high priority for me to, to keep everyone safe. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And like, (laughs) definitely. I I think what you said about like, not only as long as everybody's having fun, but like even just like so happy to be there that like you weren't too consumed with the details. Like being happy to be there and being, having fun and being really excited, I think contributes a lot to like on-set safety and to, to, to like, kind of having the best filming experience that you can um that that like sets everybody else up for success which rocks it's it's a family you know when you when you make a movie especially if you're doing a feature and you're going to be out some you know shooting somewhere five six seven weeks um, especially if you're all in location together like you've got to establish you know a a plan of mutual respect that everyone needs to follow and if anyone falls out of that um, they need to be corrected because, you know, we all depend so much on each other. Making movies is really, really hard from the beginning to the very end. And, you know, it, it can be backbreaking work. It can be very time consuming. It's just exhaustive from both a physical, spiritual and, you know, every every emotional point of view. And so, you know, if we're all going to do something that hard together, we need to know, know without a doubt that, you know, we're in a fully trustable situation and that we all are there for the same reason, which is to make something awesome that we're all going to be proud of. You guys have any more relic questions? I mean, I no, just, I, I just, I enjoyed it so much. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And, you know, that's been, it's so nice to hear from, from people that are as well-schooled in, in horror as you guys are that, that we did a decent job because, you know, this is, <laughs> this is a really hard thing to pull off. And for me, it was really a personal a giant personal risk because I've, I've, I've loved Lovecraft since I was 17 years old and I've always wanted to make a Lovecraft thing, but I've been so terrified by it because, you know, I think there's only a very few handful of filmmakers that have really gotten it right. And I didn't know if I, if I could be one of those. So the, the fact that it's gotten the kind of reception it has in the horror community makes me feel really good about myself that I, that I was able to pull it off this time. And it makes me want to try it again. Cosmic horror is yes. really hard, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but great to hear that you're you're thrilled by the challenge that we get to see more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm totally thrilled by the challenge. You know, if, if this one had, had uh, not gone as well, <laughs> I would still be so thrilled. But yeah, but uh, I, I definitely feel emboldened by this one to uh, to try something more complicated. Which awards did did you win in Texas? Uh, we won best uh, special effects and best short film. Oh, wow. Yeah, congratulations. Congratulations. Wow. What a Thank great you. question to Thank get. What, which awards did you win again? What other awards can I talk about? <laughs> well, I've, I've noticed uh, on the Relic uh, IMDb page, it does list several nominations and wins. So it looks like it's having a good run. Yeah, uh, an incredibly great run. I feel very humbled by the recognition that it's gotten. And it's just, it's a testament to, to all of the, you know, the love that this very small group of people put into it. And it was, it was a lot of love. Great tension. You know, the, like we discussed in our interview, Josh, the relentless pedal to the metal pace from the beginning that sometimes uh, 
pacing, even in short, can 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 falter or or seem unintentionally draggy, <laughs> and uh, and uh, you're you know the directing and the editing fit it all together in a way that kept that pace like what's gonna happen next kind of feeling or, or more like i can't believe what's happening right now that <laughs> that that kind of feeling <laughs> as well great thank you i was looking at your uh imdb and i noticed possibly your crowning achievement might have been one of your first movies uh I'm, of course i'm talking about the texas chainsaw massacre uh, <laughs> matthew mcconaughey edition yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> And Renee That's Zellweger. Edition, all the comments, yeah. right? Don't forget about Renee Zellweger. Oh, who could? Who could? <laughs> um, that is a, you know, it. it's a funny story. Um, I related a little bit of it on the, they did a, a really cool Blu-ray re-edition where they did tons of new interviews and stuff with people that I haven't seen in however long it's been, 25, 30 years. Um, and... Um, it's really only in, in, in thinking, like taking myself back to that place, did I realize and appreciate how incredibly ridiculously lucky I was for that. Because, you know, I grew up wanting to make monsters and, you know, all of my focus was on making monsters. And you kind of have, you know, when you don't live and work in California, you get kind of a skewed idea of what the industry is really like because you have such limited information especially at that time pre-internet i mean you know the 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 amount of information that i got was basically gotten out of fangoria magazine <laughs> like you know the, you just can't really know how the industry really works so you know the trajectory that i imagine for myself is that basically you keep you know doing the best work that you can and hopefully people like you and hopefully you do good work and every project you get is kind of a step up like you know you get a little bit better job and a little bit better job and a little bit better job and that had been happening to me around that time i mean I, I did that movie when i was 19 years old and it was definitely the first big movie that i that i was in charge of myself i'd been apprenticed under a couple of other people um paul smith who's a, a local austin favorite and um david uh, what's his name he was in dallas that i met on space marines and like he's just a, you know it, people really took me under their wing and taught me everything that they know but you know, ultimately, these were not people that had worked in Hollywood. They'd only worked in in Texas, and so even they only had kind of a passing familiarity with how things work. They just had a ton more experience than I did, and I, they were kind enough to take me under their wing and show me what they knew. But when I got that job for Chainsaw, it was like I, I got the interview. I think through the Texas Film Commission, who I just pestered relentlessly throughout, like from the time I was twelve <laughs> years old. And just, I just called them up because they had a hotline that you could call and, and you could hear, you could get information about projects that were coming into town. But there was only ever two or three, so I just kind of made a contact, made a friend, and started calling him and be like, "Hey, anything coming in?" And say, "Oh, well, there's this thing. You should call this number." And so I call and say, "Hey, I want to work in the art department or whatever." So I think I got the call through Texas Film Commission, and I called them. And at the time, they weren't even hiring an effects guy. They said, oh, there's no makeup effects in this movie. And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting for a Chainsaw movie. So I actually initially <laughs> got hired to build yeah, huh? to make <laughs> – yeah, I was like, well, there's there's no like big death scenes or anything, and she, you know, the, she was actually kind of right about that. And it wasn't until they got a little bit further into pre-production that they realized, oh yeah, I guess we kind of need a leather face mask. That might be a good thing to put in a Chainsaw movie. <laughs> uh, but they, I think they kind of imagined it as all being constructed because you know it was Kim's vision, and that's how they built all that stuff. You know, um, what's his name? Bob Bob Smith. Who's the guy that did the effects for the first one? Bob. Uh, uh for Burns. Bob Burns. Bob Burns. Yeah. 
um, you know, he just built all that stuff. He didn't, you know, sculpt and mold and do all that, the, the like kind of standard Hollywoody makeup effects stuff. Uh, and so I think they were kind of imagining that. So I got hired initially to build Vilmer's mechanical leg as just a, like an action prop. So I started working on that and then the production manager called me and said, well, you know, why don't you take a look through the whole script and tell me what else you see there and, you know, give me a bid for, for doing that. And I didn't have any bid at that point. Like, I had no idea even what 19 years old. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, I, 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 like, everything that I'd done up to that point had been very informal. And it's just like, hey, we'll give you 50 bucks to make this thing. And I'd be like, sweet, I get to make a thing. Not like, oh, this thing is also going to cost me money. It was just like, you know, I was so happy to be able to be making something for someone else. So this job kind of came together like that. And I mean, I think I think the whole movie was probably $400,000. It was super low budget. So I agreed to do the work for just ridiculous, basically like materials plus 10%. And my friend Andy volunteered to work with me as my assistant. So it was like, you know, literally three months of work where he worked for free and I worked basically for free more, more than anything for materials cost. And, you know, I paid his gas money and that was, and we all thought that was a pretty good deal at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so it's like, to me, it was like, well, obviously, you know, you work on stuff and you keep working on stuff and then you get a little bit better job and, you know, eventually you do a chainsaw movie and then, Hey, maybe after that we'll do a Friday 13th movie. Maybe we'll do a Halloween movie, you know, whatever, you know, it, like I didn't, I didn't think about, how about the meaning of it at the time i was just too young and i had no idea what i was doing i didn't know what to expect and i mean I, i'm exceptionally lucky that i did not fall completely on my face because it very easily could have happened uh, but I, I really you know now especially looking back on it and with the, the i think it was the 25th anniversary that people you know kind of started paying attention and asking questions about it again and uh, it's been really cool to see to kind of have been part of something like that um, where you can look back at your own history and be like, I was kind of part of something that people cared about. That's pretty cool. I mean, there's some oh, yeah. chance that McConaughey might run for governor down here. <laughs> so. Oh, I know. I've actually been listening to the audio book of his biography, Green Light, Green Light, Green Light. What a world in a world just, where somebody who is in a Texas Chainsaw movie is in charge of anything. <laughs> I can't. Y'all, we did the actor thing. It didn't work. We're good. We did it in We're the good. 80s. Lots of people died. We can't. Yeah. He does yeah. teach at UT. He does teach in the cinema department at UT. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, um, and he has for a while. I'm not surprised. He's he's a really, like, surprisingly thoughtful guy for as much as he may be, you know, naked high and, and drumming on bongos till the cops come. Like, he actually is a very thoughtful person. Oh. And I, I've gained a new respect for him in, in reading his biography. That's what I've heard and about his, like, him. <laughs> life philosophy. I'm going to need to come back and listen to that to get that phrase you said so I can get it on a shirt. Because <laughs> I... <laughs> I can't even recall it. It was that good. What drumming at uh, naked? Hi. Bongo. What? <laughs> Listen, there was high. There was bongos. There was nudity. I was all for it, and now it's gone and like a whisper on the wind. Yeah, and the cops came. It happened. <laughs> it happened. Yeah, it's, it's a true story. <laughs> Did you guys notice anything on Josh's IMDb that you might want to ask him about? Oh, I know what I wanted to ask about because Devin will be really excited about this. That you worked on oh, no. both of the Halloween Town movies. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. I need to. Well, so you said that. both. There are four of them. Oh, sorry, so I, I forgot. I'm... Well, <laughs> so which the only two? two that were important. 
Oh wow! Okay. They're worthwhile. <laughs> so I'm guessing Halloween Town and Halloween Town Two: Calabar's Revenge, yes. and you yeah. did not work on Revenge, Halloween Town yes. High or Return to Halloween Town. No, in fact, I didn't even know that those movies existed. Well, here I am. <laughs> all, with, all, with, all with Kimberly J. Brown. Well, I know my weekend watching clearly. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> bad news. Kimberly J. Brown is not. I don't think she's in the second two. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's not Halloween Town without Barney. Yeah, right. Like, what I, is listen, it? Demi Reynolds is still in it. Oh, she, yeah, well, good for I her. I guess it could be. It could be. It could be Halloween Town. It could be kind of Halloween Town. Yeah. Um, that's I, I don't know. I just I I love that. Those are movies that like as you know when I <laughs> as a kid like loved all like the sort of spooky shows and movies like that was one of the things that I would uh, always watch. Uh, it says yeah. you did makeup for Halloween Town. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I did a bunch of the applications, and then the the big thing that I built for it was Benny the skeleton cab driver. What? what? Oh my that was, god! That was my, that was my main you... my main gig on that show. So during when when we were building everything, I built Benny, and then when we went to set, I also did application. We, uh, I don't think you understand. We are the perfect age for that to hit <laughs> so Aww. right for us. Yeah, that that Aww, is so great. exciting, especially. You know, Adam's a huge horror person, has been forever. I mm-hmm. am a kind of late comer to it, but I've always been in love with the aesthetics. And something like Halloween Town was kind of perfect for that because it wasn't that scary. Although the scene in the movie theater with the scary portal was very that spooky. Was, but, yeah, you, scary. you know, visually, mm-hmm. that movie yeah. is just well, such a. Me so happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, oh especially God. the cab driver is the best part. Yeah, he's like, he's, he is the best part of Halloween Town. And that was um, you. I would that say was that's you. probably you that. among my my five favorite things that I ever made, and that was that was one wow. for sure. Ah, I was wow. so proud that's of how great. it turned out, and his expressions, and the, the was like the first time that I was able to really build like evolved robotics for the animatronics because I never really had a chance to build something that complicated before, and um, and it just it, it it went really well, and and I'm so glad. I, I get asked about that movie a lot, and it wow. really makes me. It makes me happy that uh, that was such a huge influence to so many people that are, you know, adults now. Of course, it makes me feel super old at the same time, but (laughs) (laughs) but it it makes me happy that that it's like, yeah, that it connects with you guys. That's so, that's so cool. That's so funny. <laughs> I think that I think that's it for us. We're we're floored now. We're good. Speechless. They'll be pulling up Halloween Town after we get off, just to remind themselves <laughs> of their, how happy they were. The good old days. <laughs> the good old days. I'm glad I could make this connection for everybody. Ah. Um, well, uh, I think I think that about covers it for this podcast. Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining me. That's uh, Adam and Devin from the Great American Scream. Where can people find the Great American Scream, guys? Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Great Scream Pod. Uh, right now, we are doing we're uh, we're usually weekly. We're doing every other week this summer for a little summer event. Uh, but we'll be back in kind of like full swing in the fall uh, with some uh, more uh, like research episodes and some uh, haunted attraction coverage. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Check us out. And if people want to find information about The Relic or Josh J.M. Logan, where would they look? 
Uh, well, the relicmovie.com uh, will generally, at least as often as I can update it with with, fu with future uh, screenings, will generally be up to date. So that's the relicmovie.com, not relicthemovie.com. That's a different website. So <laughs> the relicmovie.com, and uh, you can check that out there. We are uh, we are at the relic movie on all um, social media, and I am uh, JML Film. Com. You can check out my website, check out some of my work, um, and, uh, and The Relic is right now touring festivals, so I can only send private links to people. I can't have it just hosted up for anybody, but I'm more than happy to share it. You know, we make this stuff to share, so I'm, I'm not precious about it at all. Uh, and we will be closing our festival run with Screamfest in October, and then, uh, and then releasing on the exciting platform I'm not yet allowed to talk about. Ooh, Logan cast. <laughs> Look for that October twenty first. Ah, perfect, ah. perfect timing too. Yep, just in time for Halloween. Yes, that's something to look forward to, everybody. Thanks a lot, everybody, for joining me. Thanks for having me. It was great to meet you guys. Yeah, thanks for chatting. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely, anytime. And we'll catch you guys later for Pod Clubhouse Press Pass. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.